Wednesday, May 16th, 2018. You are listening to the Daily Dose Sports Podcast. I am your host, Clint Daly, coming to you from Denver, Colorado. We are right here in the Mile High City, and we are back for another day of talking sports, hopefully with what is a dose of common sense, maybe another dose of sarcasm. You know, we pride ourselves on having a little bit of both here at The Dose. Hopefully, we are keeping you entertained every single day of your work week. Happy Wednesday to you. We are slowly but surely making our way through yet another work week. You know, about noon today, somewhere in that vicinity, we'll be about halfway through this week. We are plowing ahead and getting through another week. Hey, if you'd like to let us know how things are going on your end, we'd love to hear from you. Hit us up on email, dailydosports at gmail.com, or you can go find us over on Facebook or Twitter. Both of those handles are at Daily Dose Sports. Maybe you've got some feedback for the show. Maybe you have a suggestion. Maybe you disagree with something that I've said. Wouldn't be the first time. Promise you it will not be the last time either. Maybe you just need some advice or you have a suggestion. We would love to hear from you. Feel free to reach out. Today on the show, you know, we do have a few news stories coming out that we have to make sure that we discuss. Pretty big game last night that I want to talk about. And you know, today is actually a very special national day of the year. Going to have to discuss that. And as we do on many Wednesdays, we will have to get to our Daily Dose Hump Day Power Rankings. Hump Day! You know, we always try to rank something each and every week. Today, we've got something that we want to take a look at from the NFL. think you're going to be interested to see some interesting things going on in the NFL that you might not be aware of. So make sure that you stick around for the Daily Dose Hump Day Power Rankings today. Before we get to that NBA Eastern Conference final game between the Cleveland Cavaliers and the Boston Celtics, we had game two last night, but we did have the NBA draft lottery take place prior to game two last night. Not a ton of movement in the draft process as the ping pong balls basically stayed according to the plan, but barring a major trade for the very first time in their franchise history, the Phoenix Suns are going to have the first pick in the 2018 NBA draft. Yeah, they're most likely going to be taking Arizona big man DeAndre Ayton. Hey, they need a big man. They need a face of their franchise. Kind of looks like Ayton would be the guy that would provide both of those things to the Phoenix Suns. They are desperate to have any sort of reason for excitement around Phoenix. This gives them a little bit. Not a whole lot of movement, though, in the actual draft lottery itself. The Sacramento Kings did jump up to the number two spot all the way from number seven. I guess that was the biggest move. The Atlanta Hawks moved up a little bit from three to four. The Memphis Grizzlies and the Dallas Mavericks dropped a few spots, but nothing too big. Okay, let's move on to the Cleveland Cavaliers and Boston Celtics. Game two of the NBA Eastern Conference Finals. You know, the game started pretty much exactly like I thought it would. Because remember game one, the Boston Celtics came out and laid one on the Cavaliers. We remember. In fact, even after the game, they asked LeBron James, hey, you know, what happened? Like, you didn't look like you really felt like playing. You didn't really come out and give it much. Your teammates, you, nobody, like everyone could kind of feel it. You didn't seem that invested in game one. And LeBron James was basically like, hey, don't worry. I got this. I was just observing. I just kind of wanted to feel things out. That was a feeling out game. Now I kind of know where I'm going to go. So game two started out exactly like I thought it would. LeBron James came out very, very aggressive, scored 25 points in the first half, putting up a lot of shots, being very aggressive with his shots. Now, he did have to leave the game for a few minutes in the first half when he was brushed lightly on a drive to the basket. 
you had to actually be taken in the back for x-rays or something. I'm going to be completely transparent. When he came back out, and I think they checked his jaw or they checked his neck or something just to make sure there was no injury there. I fully expected him to come back out wearing like a full neck brace, didn't you? LeBron tends to be a little bit drama, right? I thought he'd be coming out with the neck brace, like limping with his arms straight out, and then he would come to the bench, maybe after a few minutes kind of stretch, rip the neck brace off and hobble in. That wasn't the case. He stepped back in, got involved right away again, and it looked like the Cavaliers were on their way to being in the driver's seat for game two. They led by seven points at halftime. But here was the one thing that stood out to me about the first half. The Cleveland Cavaliers shot 51% in that first half. Now, think of how many threes Cleveland shoots. They shoot a bunch. Like, they shoot more than a lot of teams out there. 51%? Like, you're shooting the lights out. You should be up by more than seven. They were only up by seven at halftime. Now, here was the thing I wanted to see in the second half. Could they keep up that hot shooting? I think we saw the answer. No. Would LeBron keep attacking? Well, he kept shooting. I don't know if he kept attacking. Again, I hate to keep throwing this out there. I've never seen a guy work so hard for 30-foot fadeaways in my life. It's very strange. You're bigger, stronger, faster. Why don't you just go to the rack and finish? Always a little bit strange to me, but I did want to see what happened in the second half. And then in the second half, the one guy on the Boston Celtics roster that, to be completely honest, I'm not always that impressed with, made a ton of plays. And he made a ton of plays that might have changed this game and maybe possibly changed this series. Because when I look at Marcus Smart's game, I'm always like, he's not a great ball handler. He's okay. He's not a shooter, that's for sure. Sometimes he makes a lot of bad decisions. He's an okay defender, but he's undersized, so that can sometimes cause some challenges for you. And if you look at his line, it isn't that impressive. What do you have, like 11 points, probably five rebounds? He did have a few assists. He probably had nine or 10 assists. He had like four steals. But here's the question. In game two, how many hustle plays did Marcus Smart have? He had quite a few. How many times did you see him getting on the floor for loose balls? How many times did you see him force a turnover at key times of the game? It seemed like Marcus Smart came out and played with some fire. We saw Terry Rozier kind of get that shot going, started to get into the offense a little bit more. And then late in the game, it was the young Boston Celtics that were the team that kept their composure and made smart plays. Not like the dumb play we saw by J.R. Smith. Here's a clip courtesy of TNT. On their feet here at the TD Garden. Alley-oop. And Horford got fouled as he goes crashing to the parquet floor. Oh, and Smart going at J.R. Smith. Because I think Smart believes that they pushed Al Horford while in the air. That was a dangerous play that J.R. Smith made. Shoves Al Horford while he's in the air. And, you know, I don't like to go conspiracy theory, but man, when you see a play like that, and then you see the NBA rule it a flagrant one. Has there ever been a more clear example of a flagrant two? And they didn't call it? A little bit strange to me. The Boston Celtics come back from down seven at half. They take a 2-0 lead beating Cleveland 107-94. And here was a stat that stood out to me. Boston outscores Cleveland 59-39 to in the second half. Boston enjoy the win. But at the end of the day... 
the Celtics just held home court. Like they did what they were supposed to do. You're supposed to win your home games. But watching these first two games, yeah, Boston looks like the better team. They work hard. They get better shots. They play better defense. I'm not going to count Cleveland out yet, but the pressure does now shift to the Cavaliers because they need to win games three and four at home now. Like the pressure was on Boston, win your home games. They did that. They held court. Now the pressure shifts to Cleveland. Remember, these series don't really start until the road team wins a game. Otherwise, we're just heading to seven games, right? But Boston has been very impressive. Those young players keep stepping up and making plays. And the veterans, guys like Al Horford, guys like Marcus Morris, and even a guy like Marcus Smart stepping up and making clutch plays when they've needed to. Boston has been impressive. Cleveland has not been impressive. Game three will be coming Saturday night in Cleveland. That is going to be a very, very interesting game to watch. A little bit of news coming out in Major League Baseball. Seattle Mariners star second baseman Robinson Cano will be suspended 80 games for violating Major League Baseball's joint drug agreement, according to a number of different reports. Cano suffered a fractured fifth metacarpal in his right hand when he was struck by a pitch on Sunday. He was placed on the disabled list on Monday, but he was scheduled to see a specialist in Philadelphia yesterday. Sounds like when he went to see the specialist, they found out that he had some banned substances in his system, and now he has been suspended for 80 games. Hey, that hurts. I mean, forget coming back in a month maybe a few weeks, something like that. That hurts. Now he's gone for a while. Let me go ahead and just kind of guess what he's going to say in the upcoming press conference because I'll bet it's coming. I'm going to go ahead and guess that he's going to say something like this. Look, I had no idea that I was taking that. It was just an error on my part. It was in some sort of a medication that I've been prescribed by my physician. It wasn't anything that I was taking to try to help my performance. I would never do anything to hurt the integrity of the game, and I would like to apologize for an honest error on my part. (laughs) I'm sorry, like, did that ruin his future press conference for you? Because I'm telling you right now, that is probably what is going to be coming from Robinson Cano here in the next few days. Hey, coming back, might not realize it, but today, May 16th, is National Biographer's Day. Okay! Yeah, you might not realize today's National Biographer's Day. We have a couple of biographies that would be well worth your time if you are a sports fan. I want to discuss those when we get back. So like I said, today, May 16th, is National Biographer's Day, which actually commemorates the anniversary of the first meeting of Samuel Johnson, who is probably best known for his Dictionary of the English Language, and his biographer, James Boswell, back in London, May 16th, I don't know, 1700-something or other. Today actually honors all biographers. And we all know a biography is a written account of another person's life. Now, personally here, me at The Daily Dose, I do a lot of reading. Like if I'm not reading, I am looking for what book I am going to be reading next. But I am constantly reading. And there are a number of great sports biographies out there. I'm not sure if we've ever done a best sports books list here at The Daily Dose. But we're going to do something along those lines today. Because in honor of National Biographers Day... I thought I would share a few of the best sports biographies that I personally have ever read. Now, if you are a reader, I'm telling you, you will enjoy all five of these books. If you are not a reader, 
I'm telling you, you will still enjoy all five of these books. Write them down if you have to, but I promise you, you will be entertained by all five of these books. Every single one of them is a book I will stand by. They are very, very good. They are well worth your reading. The first book on my list has got to be Irish Thunder, The Hard Times and Life of Mickey Ward by Bob Halloran. Now, if you aren't familiar with Mickey Ward, middleweight fighter from a rough part of Massachusetts, this book kind of highlights Mickey Ward's life. Grew up in the 70s and 80s, tough kid from a rough section of Massachusetts, grew up in a town where guys there had to learn how to fight just to survive. Now, Mickey Ward, if you look at him, this is not a guy that should at any point end up being a top-notch boxer. I mean, he wasn't big. He wasn't particularly strong. He was just an extremely tough guy. But this book kind of highlights Ward's upbringing. You know, he participated in street fights as he was a little kid, always known throughout his career as being an underdog. But his ability to take a punch and then return one later with that nasty, nasty left hook that he had, just somehow Mickey Ward kept rising through the ranks. Of course, the book does highlight those incredible, absolutely epic fights that he had with Arturo Gotti starting in 2002, named the fight of the year, fight of the century. Those were some of the most amazing fights ever. He fought Arturo Gotti three different times. And the crazy part about those fights, because as bloody and as nasty and as vicious as those fights were, somehow it did forge a friendship between the two fighters. Gotti and Ward ended up being kind of best friends. But this book, Irish Thunder, The Hard Times in Life of Mickey Ward, like I said, it does a great job of painting that picture of what he went through, how he grew up, and how he somehow made it, despite not having all the skills that you would think of. This is a book I would definitely check out if you're a boxing fan. Next book up, I would put this book on my list as one of the best biographies I've ever read, The Last Shot by Darcy Fry. You know, Fry's book, it follows the lives of three high school senior basketball players that were at Abraham Lincoln High School in Coney Island. Oh, and also one freshman basketball player, you might recognize his name. His name was Stefan Marbury. Fry follows these teenagers who tried to play their way, again, out of a very, very rough area in New York. And it's with varying success because it's not just a neighborhood of poverty. There's a lifestyle of crime that is prevalent around these kids. It is a lack of quality schools around these kids. It is desperate family members trying to pull these kids back down to their level. It is college recruiters promising the world, even though we know they're not going to deliver anything. Now, some of these kids do actually make it. We know, of course, Marbury made it to the NBA. Some of these kids don't. And some of this story is absolutely brutal. I will say this. You will not want to put this book down. And the ending of the book will leave you absolutely stunned. The Last Shot by Darcy Fry, an excellent, excellent basketball book. Another book that I would add for best sports biographies that has to be on the list. And this one isn't as focused on sports, but I'm telling you, this is a book that you will not want to put down because the story itself is absolutely and completely insane when you read it. This book is called Unbroken by Laura Hillenbrand. Now, it tells the story of Louis Zamperini, who went from winning titles and getting medals in the Olympics to serving the United States in the Second World War. In the book, Hillenbrand 
kind of chronicles Zamperini's incredible life from a pretty rough childhood, getting in all kinds of trouble, to some bizarre discovery that he was a really, really good runner, to his success going to the Berlin Olympics and showing really, really well for Team USA. And finally, he ended up in World War II as a pilot and eventually a POW in the Second World War. I won't lie. Some of this book is a little bit tough, but you will not be able to put it down because it is such an amazing story. The things that Zamperini did, it's an unbelievable story. He has done more in his life than like hundreds of people have done in their lives combined. Now, if you saw the movie and you weren't impressed, don't let that scare you off of the book because the book is so intense and so good. I saw the movie, granted I saw it after I had read the book and I was not impressed with the movie at all. The book itself though is one of those ones you are not gonna wanna put down, Unbroken by Laura Hillenbrand. That is an amazing sports biography. I've got two more books here on my list of best sports biographies and both of them are a little older but both of them are very, very good. First one I'll give you is one that came out, I don't know, maybe late 80s, early 90s, A Season on the Brink, A Year with Bob Knight and the Indiana Hoosiers by John Feinstein. This is the account of the 1985-1986 basketball season with the Indiana Hoosiers. Feinstein is a straightforward, very, very good writer, and he states things exactly how they are. He doesn't sugarcoat anything. He's going to tell us exactly what happened. Now, when this book came out, of course, head coach Bobby Knight was not very happy with the book. But Feinstein wrote exactly what he saw and exactly what he heard because Knight allowed him in to every meeting, everything in the locker room, every practice, and Feinstein was able to spend time with the Hoosiers during what ended up being a very, very challenging season. We saw Indiana in this season fall well short of their goals. Now we know later. The following season, Indiana actually went on and won the national championship. But that wasn't this year. And when you see how they fell short this year, hey, it's all there. And it's all highly entertaining. And it's all also maybe a little bit disturbing. When you read Feinstein's account, it's no wonder what we were going to see again eventually for Bob Knight within the next, what, 10, 15 years? Because at this time, remember, when this book was written, hey, Bobby Knight was untouchable. You would never dream anything was going to happen with Bobby Knight. We knew he was kind of nuts, but he wasn't going anywhere. He was there at Indiana, and he was going to be there at Indiana for years to come. After reading this account, you kind of started to look at things a little bit different. You kind of started to go, man, Bobby Knight's crazy. Like, Bobby Knight's kind of out of his mind. Just 15 years later, Bobby Knight is gone at Indiana. We thought he would be there until, like, he died. He ended up being asked to leave for some of the same type of things you will see in this book. It's interesting to me because a guy in Bob Knight that preached discipline, a guy that preached control, being under control at all times, not getting emotional, he didn't display that. He didn't practice that. Now, understand this. I am not necessarily a Bob Knight fan, but he is absolutely fascinating to me. And that is why A Season on the Brink, A Year with Bob Knight and the Indiana Hoosiers by John Feinstein comes in on my list because this book shows the good it shows the bad. You see everything. And Knight, he does play a lot of kind of strange mental games and does a lot of strange mental things with his kids. He drives them extremely hard. He says things to them that you are stunned by. 
And at times he goes over and puts his arm around him and they all kind of like him. Bob Knight's a very, very weird guy and you will never see a better example of that than right here in this book. My final book I'm going to put on my list of best sports biography. And again, it's a little bit older, but you have to have this one on the list, don't you? If you're a sports fan, if you haven't read this, I'm telling you, you have to. Friday Night Lights by H.G. Bissinger. If you want to relive your high school football glory days, I'm telling you right now, there is no better place to start than Bissinger's modern classic. He doesn't just show you what it's like to participate in high school athletics, although that is definitely there. It also shows you how crazy high school athletics are, and I think specifically in the state of Texas. Now, this was 25 years ago, I think, that he actually wrote the book. I'm sure sports in Texas are even crazier now. But even at this time, when this book came out, you see a lot of crazy things. You have racial divisions. You have dreams coming true for certain kids. You have shattering defeats and injuries for other kids. You see just how much time and money is spent on athletics in the state of Texas. You see where people are outside waiting in line for tickets on Tuesday for a game on Friday. It is Texas football. It is sports. It is American athletics at its sometimes best and sometimes worst. And again, maybe you saw Friday Night Lights the movie and you're going, hey, I saw the movie with Billy Bob Thornton. It really wasn't that good. That's being kind. It was terrible. Maybe you saw that little teeny bop soap opera thing that was on TV for a few years by the same title, Friday Night Lights, that was loosely based on the book, kind of, sort of, but not really. Don't base any of this on those two things. They are completely separate. The book, Friday Night Lights by H.G. Bissinger, I'm telling you, you will not be able to put it down. It is an excellent, excellent read. It does show high school athletics, warts and all, some really, really cool stuff and some really, really disturbing stuff as well. There are five books that you might want to check out. If you haven't read any of those, I'm telling you, you will enjoy them. I know that you might not turn on very many sports talk shows or sports podcasts and hear them giving you some must-read sports books. I realize that. But today, National Biographer's Day, we pride ourselves on being a little different here at The Daily Dose. I am a constant reader. I love good sports books. I love a sports book that takes you to that place, that takes you to that time that you go, man, I feel like I was actually there. And there aren't that many great ones out there. But here are five that, trust me, if you pick them up, you are going to enjoy. And hey, if you have any that you think I should add to my list, or maybe that I forgot about, or maybe you're going, oh man, maybe you haven't read this one. Trust me, let me know. I'll be glad to check out what sports book that you would like to recommend. Feel free to let me know. Hey, coming back. We have seen a few NFL quarterbacks getting some monster deals this offseason. Today, on our Daily Dose Hump Day Power Rankings, Hump Day! We are going to take a look at who is getting the most money this season. Just a quick reminder that if you do have any shopping to do, you might want to just head over to LootCrate.com forward slash Daily Dose where you can find the latest pop culture collectibles that feature your favorite TV shows, your favorite movies, and your favorite video games. May's Loot Crate theme, it's called Role Models, and it features items from Arrested Development, Archer, Deadpool, and The Punisher. But if none of those franchises interest you, go over to Loot Crate, 
you are going to find a number of others over there that I promise you, you will find what you're looking for. Of course, the best part about ordering from Loot Crate when you check out, make sure that you type daily dose in the coupon box. We are going to get you 10% off of your order. Maybe you want to go order a crate. Maybe you want to go order a subscription of crates, or maybe you just want to go order some individual items. They have a ton of stuff over there. Make sure that you stop by lootcrate.com. Okay, now as we do on most Wednesdays, we have got to get to our Daily Dose Hump Day Power Rankings. You know, we just had the NFL Draft a few weeks ago, and we've talked a lot about the quarterbacks that were taken early and taken often. We saw a number of those guys come off the board probably way before they should have. Today, I thought we would take a look at the guys that must be the class of the quarterbacks in the NFL. I mean, they are going to get more money than anyone else, right? So they must be the best quarterbacks in the NFL. Let's take a look at the highest paid quarterbacks in the NFL right now. Now, at number five, we do have a tie. I don't usually do ties here on the dose, but we do have a tie. We've got two different quarterbacks that are set to make the same amount of money this year. Both of these guys are due 25 million bucks for this coming season. Now, one is a Super Bowl MVP and an 11 time Pro Bowler. Drew Brees has been a quarterback that has not exactly taken too many pay cuts for other players on his roster. And we have seen at times his teams do struggle with an imbalance of talent. It always seems like the Saints have a really good offense. They don't always have a really good defense. Some of that, I'm not going to say all of it, but some of it is because of the fact Drew Brees has a big, huge contract. Now, the Saints look like they could be a contender this season. We'll see how they do. They're going to be paying Drew Brees $25 million bucks for this year. Also, at $25 million, we have Oakland Raiders quarterback Derek Carr, who could maybe be a future superstar. He has shown some huge bright spots. But like most young players, he has also shown some major inconsistencies. Now, what is Derek Carr going to look like this year under head coach John Gruden, a guy who has been very demanding and very hard on his quarterbacks? This is going to be interesting to watch. But coming in at number five, we have Drew Brees and Derek Carr each making 25 million bucks this year. Coming in at number four, you know, Matthew Stafford started off his first few seasons just throwing the ball all over the place, racking up interceptions in bunches. In the last couple of years, we have seen Matthew Stafford actually settle in, start playing more efficient football. His turnovers have gone down. His touchdowns have gone up. Now, though, Matt Stafford is struggling with the same affliction that a few of the guys on this list suffer from. He doesn't have a ton of surrounding talent because, again, he's going to be making $27 million this year. That makes it tough. But when you get this much money, that's just kind of how it breaks. There's not enough left over to go get other help. Matt Stafford comes in at number four. At number three, there is a guy that is going to be very intriguing to watch this year because the San Francisco 49ers went and got Jimmy Garoppolo from the New England Patriots. They are going to be paying him $27.5 million this season. Now, when he went to the Niners, he kind of jump-started that team. San Francisco won six of their last seven games with Garoppolo under center. This was after they had started the season 0-9. Now, again, we've talked about this on the dose before. We get what can be very, very tough for young teams to deal with 
with the San Francisco 49ers this year? Because we get expectations now. Can the San Francisco 49ers compete in the NFC West against teams like the Rams and the Seahawks and the Cardinals? I would think they should at least be in the hunt, but can they win those games we are expecting them to win now? I don't know. Sometimes that's very, very tough for a young team to deal with. San Francisco is still not fully stocked at every position. We're going to see what Jimmy Garoppolo can do with a full season now at the helm of the San Francisco 49ers. He comes in at number three. At number two, you know, Kirk Cousins has never won more than nine games in a single season, but that didn't stop the Minnesota Vikings from giving him a ridiculous, fully guaranteed $84 million contract. Now, $28 million of that will be paid this season. And to be fair to Kirk Cousins, he's never had this much talent around him. But now, here's another guy. He's going to be dealing with expectations. And these aren't small expectations. Like when we look at Jimmy Garoppolo and the San Francisco 49ers, we say, hey, if they're competitive, maybe make a push for a playoff spot, that'd be pretty good. That's not what we have with Kirk Cousins and the Minnesota Vikings. No pressure, Kirk, but it is Super Bowl victory or bust for you. Yeah, no pressure. Go do something Minnesota has never done in their history. Or, you know, you're a huge bust. 28 million bucks puts Kirk Cousins at number two on our list. Finally, with a brand new shiny contract, we have the highest paid quarterback in all of the NFL. Yes, this guy failed to score a single point in the second half of Super Bowl 51. And you know, this guy actually does have a ton of surrounding talent. Doesn't always do the most with it though, because at number one, we have Matt Ryan. Yes, Matty Ice. No, Matty Zima coming in at number one on our list because Matt Ryan recently signed a new five-year contract for $150 million, 30 of which is due this season. So when we look at this list, And we see the guys on this list. We've got Drew Brees. We've got Derek Carr. We've got Matt Stafford, Jimmy Garoppolo, Kirk Cousins, Matt Ryan. Are we looking at the greatest quarterbacks that are in the league right now? No, probably not. We are seeing the ones that are getting the most money right now, though. I mean, hey, you're worth what you can get paid. But when you take all the money, sometimes you don't get much help around you. We are definitely seeing that now. There are the five quarterbacks that are getting the most this year, but here are some quarterbacks that are going to have new contracts coming due in 2020, and as a result, we're probably going to be seeing a couple of these guys get new deals very, very soon. Enjoy your time as the highest paid quarterback, Matt Ryan, because one of these guys is probably going to take your spot. We have Jameis Winston and Marcus Mariota will be due in 2020. Now, I think these two are on the clock. We have seen bright spots. We have seen low spots. These two need to show their teams in Tampa and Tennessee. We are the future. We are going to be the guys. You don't need to go get someone else. Going to be interesting to watch those two. Aaron Rodgers will be coming due in 2020. And he is probably going to be the highest paid quarterback ever in the history of the NFL. Russell Wilson is coming due in 2020. The Seahawks are going to have to pay him a little more money. Remember, they were able to win because he was on that rookie deal and they had a ton of money for other players to surround him with. Russell Wilson will be coming due for some more money soon. Ben Roethlisberger will be coming due in 2020. He's due for a big raise and now they've drafted Mason Rudolph. 
Yeah, Ben Roethlisberger might be making some insane demands on that contract. Eli Manning will be coming due. And you know, that one's going to be interesting with the New York Giants because are they going to be looking at Eli Manning as thinking, well, he's still got two, three, four years left? I don't know. Is he done? I mean, maybe he's not done if he has some help actually around him. See what they do with Eli Manning. Philip Rivers is coming due in 2020. How long can Philip Rivers play? I mean, I know he throws too many picks, but he's still among the elite. How long of a contract could you give Philip Rivers? How many more years does he have? Drew Brees is actually due for another huge deal we can expect. And finally, in 2020, New England Patriots quarterback Tom Brady is due for a new deal. You know, he has always taken less money so that he could help fill out that roster. It is going to be very, very interesting to see if Tom Brady still shows that team spirit and that team loyalty that he always has with all that is going on in New England right now. It doesn't sound like everything is perfectly smooth and wonderful in New England right now. It's going to be very, very interesting to see what a number of these quarterbacks do. Hey, next NFL offseason is going to be nuts. And I know we saw some movement this year. Next year is going to be even crazier. We are going to see a number of guys moving around and a number of teams trying to figure out exactly what it is that they're going to be doing with their all-important quarterback situation. Hey, tomorrow on The Daily Dose, we will, of course, be discussing the latest and greatest in sports news. We will see exactly what big stories might be coming out. And, you know, we're going to continue to look forward just a little bit to the NBA offseason with one big question tomorrow on the show. Where could LeBron James end up after this year? Should be interesting to kind of track that down and see if we can't pinpoint exactly where he's going to go. And as usual on Thursday, we will have our daily dose sports media overreactions of the week so you know that you've got to tune in for that. I have to say thank you so much for listening to and for sharing the show. Thank you for the emails. Thank you for the texts, for the follows, for the tweets. It is all very appreciated. If you'd like to contact us, hit us up on email, dailydosesports at gmail.com or go find us over on Facebook or Twitter. We would love to hear your thoughts. Have to say thank you to JSP. Could not do any of this without you. I will see you all tomorrow. Have a wonderful Wednesday.